I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, there's no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, I just I thank you for, uh, Lord, just this space and this time to open your word and, Lord, really try to understand this, this old and yet new commandment to love one another and, and how you in us produces that love for one another, what that love is and what it's not. And, and then, Lord, I just know that you want to affirm some people this morning, that you want to encourage us through, through John's heart, who spent time with you. He was the most, you were the most loving person in the universe, and he got to spend time with you. And he sits down this church, and he gets to tell them who they are because of who you are. And I just pray as we do that this morning, Holy Spirit, will you please help me Help me have clarity. Help me teach this well. And help us to be hungry this morning to hear from you. Lord, some of us have been tossed really roughly by waves, demonic lies, self-centeredness, discouragement. Some of us have not thought about you or spent time with you for days. And we don't feel things. We don't see things. And we read passages without your help sometimes because we're so rushed. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. I pray we would hear from God this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So first thing, so we're just going to do verse by verse, okay? So first thing John wants to remind uh, us of and the church of uh, is he says, I love you. Okay, I love you. By the way, whenever you're going to speak anything into anyone's life, uh, you want to make sure that this is moving in your heart. He says, beloved. He begins this part with, beloved, I'm writing you. So, so this is just a good thing when you're reading the scriptures and you're going, you know what? He loves me. Like this is coming from a place where he just, he's for me And so when, as Christians, one of the things I just want to encourage you uh, is the same thing that Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, he said, the aim of my charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience. And so whenever you're going to speak the truths of Jesus into someone's life, you're doing that because you're thinking, I love them. By the way, if you don't listen to people when they're talking, you probably don't love them. You need to love them, okay? So that's just the first thing. He says, beloved, let me tell you some truths of Jesus. And he's, he, here's what he says. 
this isn't new. This isn't new. You know these truths of Jesus. If you look at the first verse, you should have your Bible open, but he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. He's like, you've always known this. This goes way back. It's all over the commands of God. And what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about what we're gonna talk about all morning and that's love for one another. The reason we know that is there's a few places he just in context talked about loving one another, but in 2 John 5, he, he writes another letter and here's what he says. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we had from the beginning that we love one another. So, so he's writing to this church and he's saying, this has always been in the law of God. This has always been our call as followers of Jesus. So Leviticus 19, 18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But then John goes on, he says in verse eight of our passage, he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And he goes on, so what is it? So is it an old commandment? Is it a new commandment? Like what's going on? Okay, here's what most scholars are thinking is happening. False teachers are saying, don't listen to John. John's got all this new stuff. You guys are the old, old commands. And, and John's coming in with this new grace and this new, this new idea. And so, so we also have new ideas. And why don't you follow our new ideas? And, and this is just one opinion. And here's another opinion. And so they were just trying to undermine what John was saying by going like, you know what? He's doing something new too. And he's like, this isn't new. This isn't new. You know this. You know this. But John, he's like, no, no, Jesus Okay, you know what? It is a new commandment because he says it's true in him. Jesus coming and dying is, is even more than just this command. What do you mean? Well, Jesus' arrival was such a monumental event that he gives what John is saying, this new commandment or this commandment, new meaning. It's new in the sense that it's now seen. This, this command to love one another has now been realized. You've actually seen it being lived out fully in Jesus who lived it in full. So to help you, uh, John 13, when Jesus is talking to John and his disciples, he says this in the upper room after they share a meal um, and he washes their feet. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you as I have loved you, this loving your neighbor is gonna go beyond how you would want them to treat you. It's gonna go what you don't deserve. It's gonna be a farther love. It's gonna be a deeper love as I have loved you. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. To say more on this, uh, when Jesus was asked about the commands, the old commands about the law, what was the greatest command? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But, but it was interesting in Matthew, um, in, in speaking of the law and the commands to obey them, here's what he says to, to the people, Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Speaking of the Old Testaments or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he doesn't say, I've come to teach you the law or I'm gonna tell you how to, how to you know, obey it. He's not a spiritual instructor. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I've come, I've come to be this law. 
Okay, many people, even atheists will say, we like Jesus as a good person, as an example, uh, and we like some of his teaching, but, but, but Jesus, listen, if you just listen to Jesus' teaching, he's not living 33 years for that purpose. He came to do something in those 33 years that was more complete, more activating. He's not saying I've come to exemplify the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've to, to, here, here's what it means to fulfill. It means to meet all the requirements necessary. It, it means the requirements are absolutely satisfied and completed on our behalf. He came to live a life fully representing us that we could not live. So when you and I look at the commands of God, like for, for example, love one another, it, it, sh- it should move you, motivate you, because that's a beautiful thing, but it also should bring some conviction and, and help you run to the death and resurrection of Jesus, because you know you haven't loved your neighbor perfectly. But also, when you look at the law, you ought to say, if there was one who fulfilled that for me, who has been everything I've ever dreamed of being, then there's hope. Then there's hope. And John is saying this new commandment, he says it's it's zipped inside of you. He says in verse eight, at the same time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's already shining. So Jesus, let me be clear. He is the light in every believer. And that light in the believer is already shining. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience so we can be saved from striving to live that on our own. But he didn't just die to give us an empty sin bank account. He lived this life. He fulfilled the law so that he could e-transfer to your life, Jesus. You get Jesus in you. You just got e-transferred Christ. That's what he's saying. So it's the new commandment, but now that Jesus spirit light is in you, that obeying the law is a new desire in your heart now. It's totally new in that way. So so let me say it this way. A Christian is someone that has a fulfilled obedience before God and an alive obedience of God in them. This is why Paul, for example, in Galatians 5 says things like this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Freedom, by the way, from obeying the law. He's saying that law, obedience to make God like you so that you can have righteousness because you did something is not Christianity. You're free from that. You don't don't have to make God like you but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But, but listen, look at this word through love. It's in you, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in chapter six, verse two, he says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Doesn't say Old Testament, law of Christ. It's always been the law of Christ, even in the Old Testament, but now it's new in Christ. Okay. So do you hear what he's saying? Are you with me on this? Uh, I hope you are. What he's saying is the light, Jesus himself, 
is now in you and it's working through you. You can't stop it. See, a Christian with Jesus in them will get brighter and more loving. A Christian with Jesus in them will, will, will get brighter and more loving towards Jesus and one another to love them as Jesus loved them. Which is why he goes on to say, okay, so I don't have any points today. We're just gonna do verses. So now we're in verse nine. He goes on to say, whoever says he is in the light, whoever says I'm in Jesus, I'm in the most loving person who gave his life for me so I could be accepted. Whoever says that and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and just he doesn't know where he's going because what darkness does is it blinds our eyes. So we want to know what he's saying. It's obvious. Um, hate. What does he mean by hate? Well, this word in the Greek, it just it means to be indifferent to or, or in the same sense, strongly disliking someone. John links it with loving people so that there's no cause for stumbling. And he also links it to darkness. So let me say a few things. John's saying Jesus doesn't hate his family. And if he's in you, you won't either. If, if you and I don't see other believers the way God sees them, then he's not really in control of your heart. More than that though, John wants us to know when Christians hate one another, there's still, there's something blinding them. There's a captivating towards darkness. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we've been talking about light and darkness. Uh, darkness represents the, the realm governed by a life where God is not in control, that, that God is pushed out into the margins. Darkness is uh, just often described as, as the realm dominated by evil and sin and Satan. These are lifestyles, desires that are centered on selfish pleasures rather than pleasures in God. So, so you have to hear, you have to hear this in, in its whole book context. He's not saying that, that those who hate, are, like these teachers are just being mean. So if you're mean to it, like if you know, if you, if you cut off another believer in donkey traffic, or if you like, you know, flip them the bird or, or, or like, I don't know, bash them. That's not hating in this context. They're hating by presenting people enticing people to thoughts and lifestyles that would lead people away from the will of God to the realm where God's pushed aside. You need to follow your own desires. They can be embraced. Hating someone is leading them into worldliness because the next verse, it says, do not love the world. Who is the light in this passage? Jesus. Whoever loves his brother abides in Jesus. And when you're abiding in Jesus, there's no cause for assembly. Whoever loves his brother. So love here is not an emotion or some sentimental <clears throat> you know, abstraction. Uh, it's, a li it's living with others as God intends us to. It's, it's living out of your relationship with Jesus. 
the church is to be like a, a, a family who, who's committed to one another's development so that they become more like Jesus. So whoever, whoever loves his brother is abiding in the, in the truth of Jesus. And when you're, when you're looking to love other people towards Jesus, to develop them like Jesus, they, they're not gonna cause, you're not gonna cause them to stumble. And so a question I have for us is what would it look like in your life or what would it look like if everyone in our church, in our community group sought ways they could love others in Jesus towards Jesus? Like, what would it look like to remind one another when we're together to, to trust in Jesus' power to do what they can't? Maybe they're going through a situation and they are just lost and they can't do it. What would it look like for you to go, it's probably the best thing that you can't trust in your own power right now because you have Jesus' power and you have the power that rose Jesus from the dead and let's ask him to give you his power. Like, what if we actually brought people to Jesus? You know, like, what would it look like if we just reminded people of Jesus' forgiveness? That maybe they're not believing it because they're striving so much to get their boss's approval. But if, that if they really had Jesus and him only as their approval, who's the only person's opinion that really matters, that maybe their boss would have a little bit less power and they could love them because they didn't need them to give them only what Jesus can give them. Like, what would it look like to just bring people in Jesus towards Jesus? Like, what would it look like whenever you got together, you were just asking the Holy Spirit while you were listening to your friend or your family member, someone in your group or wherever, and you were like, hey, God, show me where the gospel of Jesus is good news for this person in this moment. Can I just ask you, like, is this how you love? Because everything that we are doing comes from what we believe. All of our actions flow out of our doctrine. And what John knows is there is a church that is just being flooded with false truths about Jesus, wrong truths about Jesus, and he's gonna come in, he's gonna say, I'm writing to you young, we're gonna get there. You fathers, this is true for you in Christ. This is true for you in Christ. What would it look like to be a church that says, I wanna learn how to speak the truths of Jesus into people's lives? That when we get together, we spend time helping others believe and grow in him. Is that in us? Or is the general attitude in the church among believers, now I'm just talking to Christians right now, is let's leave all the religious talk, like we don't need to talk about religion. Or, or Christ out of it. Like that should not be our attitude. If anything, we should be getting together. Whenever we get together and going like, oh man, like, like your devotional life will happen for that morning for someone else. That's how we should be thinking. Like when we get together with other believers, we're just listening to them and going, hey, can I just share with you? Like Christ has paid for that, you're loved. Like what if we started telling people more and more and more what they need to be reminded of every single day? Like, by the way, we do communion every week because we forget Jesus every week. We need Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what loving each other looks like. It's taking people to Jesus all the time, who's their hope, their righteousness, 
their joy, a person that they were meant to have communion with. This is John's heart again and again. He loves this church. He's gonna say these things over and over throughout the letter. Okay, you guys are giving me this face, ready? This is what most of you are doing. What's he saying? So maybe I need to sit. Just kidding. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm going to uh, sit for a second here because John, what he does next is he has a family meeting. Okay, so we're gonna have a family meeting right now because that's what John does. He... He probably can tell everyone's doing this. What? So, this is what he does. Let's read it. Verse 12. Okay? I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Okay, so I want you to imagine this. This man loves his church. Imagine you could sit down with Grandpa John. Imagine you could sit down with someone who spent the greatest times of his life, his 20s, with the most loving person who was divine, died, rose again, and through John and many of the apostles saw the whole Jewish world, you change it. Like if you could spend time with John, imagine how cool that would be. And this is what he's doing. He's like, okay, church, like get together. I'm gonna write some poetic things for you here. And I'm gonna write to you who are in the light. And, and he writes to, to what I believe are, are two stages of life and he writes to everyone. So um, there's a lot, I, re- I, wrote, I read a lot on this. So there's a few debates. One is, is he talking about three stages of life? So in this passage, we're now looking at, uh, if you're still like, what are we talking about? Um, he's talking about children, fathers, and young people, okay, in this passage. And so the debate is, is that three different stages? Uh, I don't think so because I think it's two. He's gonna talk to older men and women and younger men and women. So we're gonna do that, but he addresses everyone. And the reason why I think he's addressing everyone is because he begins, if you look at this, I'm writing to you little children. And throughout all of John's letter, he addresses the whole church as little children. So here's a slide just to show you that. Uh, It'll be up here. You can see how many times he uses this phrase to address the whole body. So the first thing we're gonna see Grandpa John say to us as the church is to everyone, and then we're gonna speak to those who are older and younger, okay? So that's what we're gonna do. Um, And you can see here in John's culture, he's specifically addressing, you can take the slide off, um, men, but as almost every commentator points out, in first century, this speaks to the stages of man's life because in distinction from women in that day, uh, they didn't have the same public responsibilities and spheres of life. And so uh, you're addressing stages of life by using the stages that men enter into. For example, Jewish custom said that fathers would, would be like the father of Israel or the patriarch. So scholars agree here that he has the whole church in mind because these truths wouldn't exclude women the way it would when he's addressing, for example, husbands or elders, okay? So 
Let's begin though. So, so little children. So this is the whole church, no matter what stage of life. This is everyone, okay? Say, okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. You say, this is for you. Yeah, this is for you. So here's what he says. I am writing to, I can't say it. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. <clears throat> and then he says later, I write to you, it'll be on the screen. I write to you children because you know the father. So he wants them to know the first thing is that God is like a father because you know the father, a father who loves them and who has forgiven them. He wants to have this truth that the father loves them and has forgiven them. He wants to have this truth over them. He wants you to have this over you. He wants you to know, he wants them to know they're not orphans, they're not on their own, they're not performing for God, they're not trying to impress God. Just like a dad loves his kids, God the Father wants to instruct, correct, provide. This is God's heart for his kids. How do we know that? Because the basis of their relationship, of them knowing the Father, is not them. The basis of their relationship with God was the Father's work to adopt them by giving them Jesus, who would forgive their sins. He says, you are forgiven not because of you. You are forgiven not because of you. Do you believe that? Do you believe nothing of you could make God one day regret you or be tired of you? See, most people feel guilty for what they've said and done or not saying or doing enough. And they feel lonely because they don't know God is their father. But if you know, listen, if you know you're forgiven and you have a father, you have hope. And John is saying that this is the reality in which you stand. He's like, I'm writing to you because you stand in this church. Later in, in chapter three, verse one, he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Forgiveness with your father gives you hope for your future. It'll give you hope for your week, hope for your day. And some of us, okay, uh, you know, here's, I got a homework assignment. Here's one thing you got to begin doing every day, okay? And it's kind of a weird story, so I'm glad Nikki's not here because I never tell her if I'm going to use her in a sermon. So at least her face won't go red. Um, this is going to be weird. But one thing I noticed this week about my life is that I, I talk to I. I talk about Nikki to myself more than I actually talk to Nikki about her. Okay, this, I noticed myself doing it this week. Like I will find myself staring at her and, t and telling myself, man, I love her. Like I will tell myself like she is beautiful. Like what a sacrificial mom that was. Like she could have been doing, I, I will tell myself how great, like I will just, I will literally, she doesn't know I do this. She's like, why don't you tell her? Why well, don't I let her struggle with pride? But um, like, I, I think, she, like, like I think about her and I, and I tell myself, this is what you love about her. Um, and, and even some, there's sometimes when I'm not feeling it that I will still tell myself these things but I actually talk about her to myself more than I actually talk to her about her. 
But what's my point? It hit me as I was reading this is if you lack love for the father or for Jesus or knowing that you're loved by, by Jesus and you want that love to grow because everyone in here would want that love to grow. Start talking about how amazing he is to yourself. Like talk to yourself about him. Like talk to yourself about him every day. Tell yourself what you love about Jesus. Tell yourself what he's done for you. I tried it this week, by the way. I, I, um, I started, any, wherever I was in my Bible reading plan, I would, I would ask the Holy Spirit to teach me about God. What does this tell me about God and how amazing he is? And, and then I started, after I read it, I was like, like, this is what, how great he is. Like, he came to these people without them asking. That's what he does in your life. And I started just talking about how great Jesus is to me. And here's the thing, you won't be alone. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. He's like, let's kind of talk more about Jesus. I'm passionate about him. Let's join you in this worship of Jesus. John's saying, remember your father. Remember your sins are forgiven. The cross has to be the place you and I live our lives from. And he died not on the basis of you, but on the basis of his namesake. He didn't die for on how you're gonna do this week or how you did the last week. He died because of how great the Father is. That's how you know you're a Christian. You're not trusting in yourself. But if you want that to grow, talk to yourself about how great Jesus is. All right, so he moves on. He's got two categories or stages of life. And he begins with the older men and women. So here's the verses and we'll look at them together. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, okay? It's pretty clear that older men and women just need stuff repeated. <laughs> no, too far. Um, just kidding. This is like the opposite of what I'm about to say. Um, those who are older. He says this, you, you have known him from the beginning. Who's that? Who are we talking about? Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. Here's how we know that in the beginning of the letter. He says, this was him from the beginning. Speaking of Christ. So he, so he says, you older men and women, you've been in relationship. Those who have been in relationship with Jesus the longest, you know him. And what he's speaking here is to the wisdom of the older men and women in the church. They've had a long relationship with Jesus. The older women, they have wisdom. The older men, they have wisdom. In the words of one, this is truth plus experience over time. So he's like, you've walked with Jesus through seasons that younger men and women, they haven't. And you need to remember that. You need to be affirmed in that. Don't be led away by this new thing because you know him who is from the beginning. You've, you've been with him. You've had many of those quiet times with him. And, and, and like... Okay, so for example, younger men and women can read books about marriage and, and how to do conflict. And, but, but, but until you're married for seasons and years, maybe they haven't experienced some of the substance of that and perseverance of that. He's like, you know him for, who has been from the beginning. You've walked with Jesus in so many of these seasons of life. One of my favorite questions, by the way, to ask married couples, is how long I've been married. And no matter what they say after, so they'll be like, no, 13 years. I'll be like, how do you do that? Because I just want to know. 
They've been there. They've had it. You know, I was talking to one great guy who was a blessing to me this week, and he was going through a trial. It was a painful season for him, but he was speaking from a place of pain and hurt and failure, and he, he was qualified to, because he had been there. He had walked with the Lord, and it just, it blessed me. And, and you older men and women, you have so much to give to the Shore Church. You have so much to pour into God's family. Your, your experiences with the Lord are an are incredibly valuable, even the negative ones. And if you're here and this is your home, please don't buy into this, the culture's infatuation with youth, you know, like youth only have what it takes. And, uh, you know, we need to listen to them. And we need you, we need you older single men and women, grandparents, I want you to take your best years, take your trials, what you've learned with Jesus, the good, the mistakes, and develop us. Like remind us of him who you have known from the beginning. Okay, so if you're 40 and over, that's how you know you're old, okay? If you're, if, yeah. You know, this sermon won't get posted, so. We're like, where's this text? Didn't make it. Uh, I want you to stand. Okay, if you're 40 and over, will you stand? Yep. Okay, yeah, all right. This is, you know, don't make any distinctions amongst the church. Okay. Um, all right, wait, shh, shh, shh. just stand. You don't have to talk. What would it look like? Okay, okay, you older men and women, you're standing right now. What would it like to look around this room and listen, listen to these words because they're very intentional. Be burdened and passionate for the young people. For you to say right now, okay, to those who I don't even know, where can I be active in the things God's called me to do? Like I want you to look around the room and go, I have gifts in this church. You have experience in this ministry to bring to these younger men and women. And I wanna to say to the men particularly, you have a temptation right now to take your best years and waste them by spending them on retirement. You, you're you're gonna you're going to spend your best years, your last days God gave you just golfing and spending your money. And, and, and I, I'm gonna pray for you that that wouldn't be the case. I'm gonna pray for you that you would take your best years and ask God to show you ways you can invest your gifts to others. Because older men and women, we, we honor you. All right, let's clap for them because we honor them. Yeah, now I wanna pray for you. Let me pray for you and then you can have a seat. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I know I, 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 what I wrote, I really wanna say clear, but I just, you know that they've known you for some years and some of them, it's new and fresh, but many here who are standing are being tempted by our culture today to feel like they don't have anything to say, but they do, I pray you'd give them a burden to spend their best years 
investing and developing people in the truths of Jesus, in the word of God. I, I, I look at all the scriptures that talk about older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women. And we've kind of lost that art. We've lost that burden. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for these men and the men and women in this room, that you would do something this week in their lives that would just help them see how, how much they're loved. How that, that, that Second Corinthians says, the God of all comfort has comforted us so that we can comfort one another, that whatever they've gone through is not for them. Help us, help them not to waste their life. And we need to hear from them. So I pray, Father, that we would seek them out. I pray that we'd be a church that loves one another and listens to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Now, John says, if you're 40 and under, you're younger by the, you know. Okay, I'm just gonna stop putting an age on it, but I, but I did. Here's the passage for you, those who are younger. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have no idea how I'm going on time, by the way, so we're not gonna post this. Um, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Okay, so for you younger men and women, the first thing you need to know and see is there's a spiritual battle. And what you're gonna need is to be strong. You just have to see that. And not just a battle for your soul, but a battle for truth. And you need to know that what's true in Christ is that Jesus has overcome the evil one. That's at war with you. See, the plan of the evil one is to rob you of strength. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rob you of truth. In this letter, the evil one is always referred to of, of the one enticing you to false pleasures and teaching. So first, don't forget you're in a spiritual battle. You're in a, you're in a war and the evil one does not want you to hear the news that can set you free to destructive addictions and enslavements. There are demonic forces that are regularly trying to instill fear in Christians, fear that you will sin, fear that you will fail, fear that you are not a good parent, you're not a good spouse, on and on and on. Let me ask you this, where are you being struck by fear? <coughs> Satan's trying to convince us there's a shortcut to deep fulfillment and satisfaction outside of God. This week I encountered this in full force. Monday night, I was up for four and a half hours, hearing lots of lies, fighting off lots of perverted thoughts. I was fighting a demonic force. And he was saying sentences like, I'm going to destroy people around you. And I said, no, you're not. And I talked to the spirit and I cast it out in Jesus name and it kept coming back. He wants to lie to you. He wants to tell you that he's gonna destroy your life, that God's left you, that you're all alone. You gotta figure it out by yourself. These are lies, that you're not important. 
Satan will tell you if, even if God loves you, he can't help you. Where was he the last time you needed him? If you hear those, those are lies. This is why John wants them to know you need strength and there's an evil one. Satan's a liar. That's what he does every day, all day. His lies are about God and his word and his works. So you know their lies is if they're not in his word and they're, they're, they're not a, what God has done for you. Doubts about God, doubts about what he's accomplished. And John is saying, you're not in a battle with an enemy that is lost. If you're in Christ, it's one that's already victorious. You have overcome. That's how he can say you have overcome the evil one in Christ's name by his power. I knew in that moment on Monday night, I had overcome this evil thing. And no matter what happened or, or, or the result, it would still be an overcomer because I'm in Christ by his name and his power. The victory gained through the Jesus death and resurrection is yours. In a little bit, John writes this in this same letter, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did. He won, he can't spiritually kill you. He can't have more power than Jesus in you. And yes, we will fight and fail. Yes, we will allow lies in. And Jesus wants you to know as you pull those arrows out, that arrow was defeated at the cross. You won. You won. Romans 8, 38 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor nor." <laughs> nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Look, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You have overcome. This is what he wants you to know. I've overcome. Here's how John Piper puts this. There is no disease, no addiction, no demon, no bad habit, no fault, no vice, no weakness, no temper, no moodiness, no pride, no self-pity, no strife, no jealousy, no perversion, no greed, no laziness that Christ does not aim to overcome as the enemy of his honor. Christ's reign reaches to the smallest and the biggest enemy of his glory. It will be defeated. Amen. So you, younger men and women, one of the greatest things you can do, you can go back to those verses, James, please. One of the greatest things you can do is become men and women of the word. The word of God dwells in you, he says. Being obedient to the word. Let me ask you, what was the last passage you said, I'm obeying this too. Younger men and women, what was the last passage you read and said this, I'm gonna obey this. I'm obeying this one. That's how you're gonna, you're gonna overcome him by obedience to the truth. Because trusting and believing is doing. They're not different. He says, I write to you, young man, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you. The word lives in you. The scriptures are gonna be how you navigate. What you need to do is you need to take every thought captive and consider this. Is what I'm thinking 
captivating to Christ. Like, would Christ think this for me? So, so here's another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to what? Obey Christ. So make sure what you're thinking lines up with what is true about Jesus and of your new life in him. Make sure it aligns and conforms to the truth of the gospel. And this is where you need one another. You need to say, I don't think I'm believing this about Jesus right now. I don't believe he loves me. Can you speak the truth into my life? And then they'll say, okay, what do you do for you on the cross? Why do you do that? Because I suck. No, no, no. Why do you do that? Because he loves me. Did you, did, did you do anything to deserve what Jesus did for you on the cross? No. Then can you do anything that will make you undeserve what you didn't deserve? No, then you're not really believing he loves you. Can I pray that, that you would know the love of the Father today because it's yours? Yes, please pray for me. Thank you. Okay, so you, here's what I want to say. We, you may not defeat the enemy all the time in the many battles, but you have won. And the sword that kills is the word of God. And you and I can't win a war. That was a cool accent. We cannot win a war with merely a shield. You need a sword. So pick up your sword. Okay, so if you're under 40, I want you to stand, including teenagers. You stand, I wanna pray for you. But I wanna ask you, what would it look like if you knew the evil one was defeated every morning? Like if you just, you woke up and you said, okay, he, he's been defeated today. And I know that because the word of God abides in me and because Christ is in me. And I, I wanna use this sword. I wanna use this sword to instruct and counsel and go through these storms so that when I'm a father, I know him from who, who's from the beginning. What would it look like, and I wanna pray this over you, if you younger men and women said, okay, I am gonna be the one that takes up the sword for my fellow brothers and sisters, for my neighbors, that I want to be the one who grows in counseling and instructing other people in the truths of Jesus. Do you know the truths of Jesus? Like, can you speak the truths of Jesus into other people's lives? Can you take them to the cross? If not, you get excited because you're gonna go, I wanna start learning what the truths of Jesus are as I read my Bible every day so that I can know them, that they can come in me and I can obey them and I can win this war that's already been won. That's what I wanna pray for you. And then the band will come up and we'll respond. Father, I just thank you that you're here today and that you love and have overcome the evil one for everyone who's standing in this room.
You love us. We are loved. And all of us right now, more than likely, have some arrows of poisonous lies that you have overcome and you are expelling and you have defeated in Christ. So I pray that defeat over them. I pray in the name of Jesus, those arrows and poisons would be gone and that these lies that have had strongholds for many years would be dispelled and that they would know that on the cross, you died for them there. And when you rose from death, fully complete, he transferred. They have the armor of God. They have a sword of the word. They have a helmet of truth, a belt of truth. They have a shield of faith and they need to pick it up. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, over these young men and women that they would see themselves as involved and in ministry in the craziness of the war. That you've drafted them into something that's already been won. And we are a missionary people. So I pray that they would, they would see themselves as you see them, loved and on mission for your glory. And I pray for all of us as we respond now, we would worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.